0: Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the podcast that curiously explores the stories the body holds and tells through conversations, stories, and practices. Our mission is to connect the individual to the collective through our stories, so we may better understand our interdependence and ultimately live a more peaceful coexistence. Is that too much to ask for? Each episode builds from the last and contains kernels of every conversation we've had to date. We cover sciencey things like fascia,
1: anatomy, the nervous system, and other body-based sciences. We also have a pretty high tolerance for the woo factor, which, let's face it, is also energy and should not be discarded as if it has no value. We are nature-loving, yoga and meditation teaching podcasters that could aiming to make the world just a little better than we found it. Our motto is, leave no trash trace, we're only visiting, but leave your heart print with every step.
0: Hi Teresa. Hi
1: Sherry. (laughs) It's another beautiful day in paradise. It's what, November 10th? And we have gotten the most incredible autumn. These, the foliage, the foliage, the foliage, the foliage is so beautiful.
0: Yeah, uh, every day I go out to my sit spot, which is just on my patio, so I don't have far to walk. And it has been amazing to watch the succession of leaves changing, but also the succession of which trees have dropped everything, and which are still holding on a little bit and um, giving me, just still still continuing to be a little showy, right?
1: I sent you a little video yesterday of that little tiny girl. She must've been two or three. She's sitting in her little seat just to paint a picture for the listeners. And she's looking out the window and she's crying to her daddy. And she's saying that it's her fault that the leaves are falling. And she's like, but I know them and they're falling. And she's crying and she says, and I won't be able to meet them. And, you know, and she's just going on. And But it was as if she she had this connection to nature without even understanding what nature was. And so, but she just felt the feeling coming out of this child was so
0: absolutely beautiful. And she said, I know them. I know them. Like she, oh, you sent that to me. And I I honestly watched it three times because I I was like, oh, she's so cute. But connection, she was apologizing. I'm sorry that you're falling. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. But what she said was, it is my
1: fault. She says, it's all my fault. And I started feeling like, and her father said, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay, it's nature. And so he tried to explain it to her and then they sort of, it was a real, so it kept going. And I thought, this little girl doesn't need a reminder that she is nature. And whatever we can teach her about the cycles and the things to understand that the falling is actually a part of the cycle and it's its a beautiful thing, but she, the feeling, the depth of her feeling was just beyond. And I just kept thinking, how did? why does she think it's her fault? That's the only reason why I, I called that out. Like, why does she think it's her fault
0: that these leaves are falling? And you just said, you know, what we can teach her about cycles and the rhythms uh, that are just part of nature. But as soon as you said that, what occurred to me is, I wonder what she can teach us. She's so connected and had such an emotional response to an she looked, like you said, about two. So it's kind of the first time that she can really, like at one, babies might notice things, but they're not really communicative about it. So in this very first season that she can notice Autumn, she had such a deep connection. So I wonder what she has to teach us.
1: Well, I can tell you, she, she was the teacher of reminding me that we are nature, that we're not separate, and that we have a responsibility to the world around us. That's what I left with. And I thought, man, just, I I don't want her to grow up feeling guilty that, you know, there's a natural cycle of things that happens. But as she, I guess, like you said, begins to articulate and process the world around her. I just hope she doesn't forget.
0: Maybe dad will take her out at the end of the day and they can stomp (laughs) around in the leaves and throw them up and and build a different kind of relationship with them once they make it to the earth.
1: Yes. So this, And this brings up what we're going to talk about today, what feels like a gift. You know, to her, it it felt like the leaves, everything she was looking outside the window was a gift and to see it fall had elicited a reaction. So what is it? And like I just said, waking up, it's this beautiful fall day. That feels like a gift to be able to move into a day that with clear, beautiful blue skies and falling leaves and changing leaves and the evergreens and all of the nuances that are around us always. That feels like a gift, but only if acknowledged. You know, it's always there. You know, is a gift a gift if it's unacknowledged? Maybe that's a question.
0: Uh, You know, you just mentioned nuances and that we're talking about what feels like a gift. And even the reframing of like, what are you grateful for is a really great question. But sometimes it sounds cerebral. Like, what are you grateful for? Mm, Let me think about that. But when it's changed to what feels like a gift, it brings us back into our sensing body to tap into our own senses, to really stay connected to our feelings and let them inform what this gratitude is or this gift is because we felt it, not thought, not had to like, ah, oh, I wonder what I'm grateful for this year. Sounds so much more like a thinking question. <laughs> And I love how it sort
1: of is following off of last episode where, was last episode the senses and the elements? No, last episode was Yoga 8. That was the end of season four. But that there's a progression in the conversations that we're having. And as we approach Thanksgiving, we're in the month of gratitude, even though every month should be months of gratitude. This idea that the feeling, the senses, and we just talked about this little girl and the elements, that it's really hard to have a conversation without bringing those things in. And so when we were talking about like what feels like a gift, I went right to the love languages and the love languages that they're words, words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, acts of service and receiving gifts. And that made me think of the retreat that we are in the middle of leading. We've done two out of the three days. And I would say it doesn't matter for any of the, the participants what their particular combination of love languages are, because I don't believe we just have one, that we hit each one of those. There are hugs, there's that touch, there's that feeling of community where we're we're feeling it. You know, we there's lots of like intention setting and words of affirmation and chanting and counsel time. So that gives us the words. We're gathering, we've chosen to come together to spend our precious time in community. There's the quality time, the acts of service, you know, the stories we've been hearing from participants. It just, it feels every time I leave our experience at Rhythm and Rhyme, I have this deep sense of having been a part of an act of service and not just from my end, but also having received that act from every participant. It's such a communal experience. And then receiving gifts, you know, part of the fun we had in preparing for this was putting together the gift baskets, the actual physical things with the journals and the pens and pencils and the mints and, you know, the maps and all the fun, the treasure map, you know, putting together those actual gifts. And so there's this this feeling like each one of these feel like a gift. And depending on what your dominant love languages are, you're going to get them met at
0: Rhythm and Rhyme Retreat. Yeah. And the new friendships when everybody broke into Diane's, like, <laughs> what do you call it? Speed, speed, dieting, speed, dieting, <laughs> right? Where, <laughs> where there was the practice of holding a safe space, right? So that two people could both speak and be listened to. And I remember the instruction the first time I tried it. And every time I try it since then, this exercise, of being there to just purely listen without the head nods and the and the affirmation and then yeah, you're doing a good job, and I've been there too, you know, to just allow somebody the chance to speak uninterrupted with awareness, right? Where there's a connection, but there isn't the connection of being an affirming partner. It is more of a holding of space. And we've talked about that in the past, to hold space. And what came out of this practice of, what was it? Two minutes? Three minutes? study two each minutes. Verse, two minutes. Two minutes? Yeah. Two minutes. Uh, the feedback that came like, first, I didn't even know what I was going to say for that amount of time. I heard that a couple of times and how difficult it was to not be affirming as the listener that definitely came out but the other thing that i really paid attention to was the feedback of creating this new deeper friendship because not everybody who was at rhythm and rhyme had met before many people were strangers before they came to this retreat and so this development of deeper bonds and new friendships what is that feels like a gift to me
1: absolutely and you know we had um Susan Snipes, who is one of the Snipes kids from Snipes Farms. I think we can use their names. For this. <laughs> They're kind of pub, local public figures. But she came that first day and as part of a beautiful offering that you created, this, uh, this orientation to place that had so many different aspects. And she was able to tell the story of one of her great, 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 I don't know how many greats of the grandmother. Was it little Jane? That I I just imagine this tiny woman like in stature, but huge in energy and ferocity, you know, keeping this arm of going at a time when, you know, it was, she was a woman at a time when it was hard to be a woman and get, keep a, you know, on your own and get a, a business, let alone a farm, keeping it afloat. And so just her being there and being able to keep the continuity of the generations alive for that particular piece. So yes, we can go back to the Lenape's and say that that's the land that we are on and how it has been honored since then and this family that for generations has been continuing that honoring of this space. So that felt like a gift. You know, in Judaism, there's one thing, I'm not very religious, but there's um, an idea called Lador Vador, which has always been the call to, to this particular spiritual tradition for me. And that all it means is from one generation to the next. And that we, because we're yogis, we are part of a lineage, whether or not we are actively the stewards of that lineage or just benefiting from the lineage, it is not ours. We didn't start it. So there's this from one generation to the next and how we keep certain flames flickering. And uh, I just, it feels like a gift too.
0: That does. And when you talk about the generations that go back, it reminds me of the seven generations. There has been input for for generations in keeping the farm running and being passed from generation to generation. But also we all have that same personal lineage as well. Our families, our ancestors, that we, you know, you told the story, I think it was way back in season one, about cutting the end off the meat because <laughs> that's how grandma did it, right? These uh, these things that kind of stay as traditions in family lines. And, you know, I cut the ends off the meat and then my daughter did and the granddaughter did. And one day, somebody in generations down said, how can we always cut the ends off the meat? It's like, oh, because it didn't fit in the pan, you know? So this passing down of traditions and... Uh, stories you know having family stories be retold over and over again really brings me uh, that feels like a gift but it also reminds me that yoga was a verbal a verbal lineage before it was written and a lot of our lineage began with storytelling and being able to communicate by the repetition of stories so Some of the other things that uh, were shared that really felt like a gift. Well, for me, one of the things that felt like a gift was this was the first time after my training at Propolo that I was able to lead the Mindful Outdoor Experience as I was taught it. And that was such a gift for me to do, to offer and be in service of our attendees, our participants in Rhythm and Rhyme. As the first people in the community with which I can, you know, take out and play in nature with. And some of the feedback that really touched me when we got back was one of our participants talked about watching the leaves dance. It was such a beautiful day out in the woods because the breeze was just such that you could feel it moving. It wasn't cold, the weather was beautiful. But it was enough that it was snowing leaves. There was this constant flow of the leaves being dropped from the trees. And one of the participants was talking about watching this particular leaf dance on the current of the air. And because of the way the air was flowing, sometimes it was coming up and sometimes it was coming down. She said, I didn't even know if maybe it was stuck in a web, but it had captured her attention. and." I was just like, how amazing is it to have enough time in your self-care to sit and just watch a leaf fall from the tree to the earth and how it danced? It sounded so joyful in the way that she was sharing it. Uh, that was one of my favorite bits of feedback Of that felt like a gift to me. Yeah. Well, that whole experience,
1: Teresa, was pure gift. What you led was amazing. And the other feedback that around that same time, I loved when she said that that leaf also kind of hovered a little bit, that it didn't really make landfall until close to the time we moved on. But then we had another participant who was looking at nature and seeing the natural support how things would fall, limbs or things would break off, and they would fall and then get caught by you know other limbs that a tree was there to if if a tree was falling, it might lean on another tree, but that there was evidence by being aware enough and being still and quiet enough to be able to witness the poetry of 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 our reflections in nature, and how what the possibilities, what our possibilities are are reflected in this natural world. And what I loved about it, too, was that there was no there was no heat around uh, our thought. Do Well, should I catch that branch? Should I let it fall? You know, it's not what we do as humans because we have brains, because our existence operates in a in a different way, even though we're made of the same stuff. We start things get caught <laughs> in the web of our minds. And so we turn them around and we're rationalizing and we're trying to think of things rather than just doing the thing that nature would allow us instinctively to do. And so it goes back to this like instinct. We talked about instinct and insight and third eye inspiration in, uh, in what? with uh, Intuition. Intu- Intuition, thank you. You're welcome. Oh, that, <laughs> that was a gift. Having a partner is a gift to help pick up the words when you drop them. But all of this to say that, you know, every answer we could be looking for is there for us. If we just choose to see it, and and then of course the harder work is to all right I'll fucking catch you even though dot 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 whatever our minds tell us.
0: Another great story that came out of it. Well, I actually have two, so I'll share one. Maybe you'll end up sharing the other. The second one, if not, we'll come back to it. Was a participant really highlighted how the fallen trees and logs became a whole new ecosystem that, you know, their service continues to serve. You know, we have the trees, the standing, the tall ones who, you know, share their oxygen and their shade from the hot days and all the gifts we get to walk through the forest. Then some of them that fall are held. um, And occasionally, you know, eventually they wind up on the earth, but then they become food for lichen and mushrooms and moss and bugs that eat them until they disintegrate and again, continue to serve as fertilizer. So what a great lesson it was in knowing that what no longer serves still serves in a completely different way that our energetic footprint keeps giving back.
1: Yeah, these are, these are all gifts. And so, you know, when we're asked around that Thanksgiving table to go around, you know, I don't know, some people do the rose and thorn, you know, what was the good thing and what was challenging and, you know, go around, what are you grateful for? Like you said, it's sometimes there's a certain pressure to think of something, even when we're at our our lowest time. I mean, I was thinking this morning as I was preparing for this, what feels like a gift? Well, I know after I've been sick and I can't breathe, that first easy breath feels like a Mm. gift. You know that if I'm not coughing after a coughing like that feels like a gift. Being somewhere traveling, coming back, traveling alone is a gift. being able to experience other cultures and be with other people, and then coming home feels like a gift. you know, being able to to know what you're capable of doing. You know, finding water, foraging for food, doing the things that might be hard to do, and then coming home and just going into the refrigerator and grabbing something with ease or turning on the spigot or flushing the toilet. The things for which we take for granted feel very much like gifts. So if I think about it that way, what do I take for granted every day? That's a fucking gift,
0: you know? Yeah. I mean, it's cool out and I have my bed warm, my mattress warmer on now. That feels like a gift for me every day. I get into my bed and it's already warm and I don't have to like cuddle up until my body heat is infused into my mattress. I like to enter with it already warm. I slept in a water bed for years and years and years. So getting into a bed that was warm was just how I was, how I was pregnant to go to sleep at night. So now that I have my bed warmer on and that it was cool, I was like, oh calling into a nice warm bed but and was, i want the cool sheets i need the cool sheets hanukkah and christmas are coming up and we do
1: it all so i'm declaring to the universe that someone gets mama some cool sheets. that would
0: be a game yeah again going with cycles right at times in our life the cycles change and so do our body temperatures and so many other things that <laughs> oh yeah are part of our physiology change with different <laughs> seasons We can go back to, you know, the maiden and the crone and and previous conversations about how those things change. But, you know, also in what feels like a gift, I love this story because it began from one of our participants with at the risk of feeling vulnerable. And I think that is such a great part of building a collective and building a community is knowing that there is space held for us to share those fun things of the dancing leaf, but also to share our bowler abilities within a supportive community. And uh, she talked about her resistance. And one of the parts of the walk uh, that I offered was something called a fox walk. And a fox walk is super slow. Like however slow you think you, ca- you're, you are walking, make it just a little bit slower. (laughs) And there's a specific foot pattern of changing it up. And instead of landing on the heel, we land on the big toe, then the little toe, then the heel. So it takes concentration and slowness. And what she said was, I felt this resistance. I don't want to walk that slow. And she felt comfortable enough to share that, which is what I really, what felt like a gift to me. You said we were, you know, in service of. And when somebody feels comfortable to both share what feels like a gift and what feels like a vulnerability, then I really feel like I may have done my job of being in service. But there was a full circle to the story because she said, as I was doing that and looking around, I was able to spot a tree that was really, really important to me, a tree that had memory, a tree that she had spent some time with in the past. She had been in these woods and had created a, this is my word, not hers, but it sounded to me like she was saying she kind of created a bond with that place. And it felt very, very welcoming and a little joyful because she described the tree as looking like a man's pair of pants because it has two trunks and maybe a little bit of a trunk protrusion in a possible reminding place. So uh, it was a full story of resistance, of vulnerability and joy all wrapped up into maybe, her story was probably even shorter than mine, a minute or two minutes. And we were able to go through a wave of emotions.
1: That first day was something else. And you know we're not we're not selling the retreat right now. We're all we've got one day left where we're just talking about some of the the takeaways, some of the experiences that feel like gifts. And it really it, it's oxygenated our blood in such a way that it feels like something that has potential to grow. And you know we're looking at this sisterhood because it's all women who came together, and there was a feeling, a divine feeling of sisterhood that permeated this group. Like you said, not all of us knew each other, you know, and uh, I'll let you tell the story because I know it's it's a ju- it's a good story because you were told all the time, you know, social media is not the place to connect with people you don't know, to get business, whatever. The algorithms are here, they're there, but we don't know. The gift is the mystery and the mystery is we just don't know. So I'm gonna let you tell that story because it's a good one.
0: It is a good one. So. We have a partnership, you know, offering our retreats at Snipes Farm. And we kind of reached out to the Midway and asked them to promote uh, throughout their social channels about what was upcoming so that their guests on the farm and within their media would know that this event was coming. And on the day that they made their first Facebook post, This is how I remember it. It was the first day that they made, it was the day they made their post. Somebody had led one of our participants to that Facebook page. And so the first thing she saw was Rhythm and Rhyme Retreat. And it sounded so intriguing to her that she paused and wrote, this sounds like such a great thing. I don't know that I'm ready to commit to the whole thing without knowing more. And I saw her post and we had a, a short conversation. I shared with her that she was able to register for just one of the events or all of them uh, and that we would love to meet her and to see her at the event. And it was a short interaction, but within a day, I saw her registration come through and I was so excited. I really began to feel and in a very tangible way that the energy was out there. You know, you and I ask the universe, send us the group of people who are going to amalgamate. You know, the people who need to be here, that's who we're speaking to. Well, we do have a number, but then it's less about the number and more about bringing the people together. So that was a gift. This series of events that can draw a line to see how she was attracted and how we were able to communicate with somebody that neither you nor I knew and was not on any of our social media channels. She is not a listener on the podcast. But she, is yet now. There she, she is now. She is
1: now. Hi, you know who you are. We're not using names because we didn't ask. So we're, you know, going generic, but you are not generic in our hearts. You are gifts in our hearts.
0: Just respecting everybody's privacy, but at the second event. Oh, so I want to clarify one thing. When Sherry said earlier, we're not selling the retreat. We only have one day left. We have one day left at the time of we're recording this. Oh, yes. At the time that you're listening, we have completed <laughs> and we will have finished all three events. So I just wanted to put that out there, just in case you go looking. Thank you. We are finished. <laughs> it's done. At the
1: we'll time talk about of
0: listening. It.
1: Thank you for that clarification. God, it's so weird to be in it, to be ahead <laughs> to me. No. no, that's so, that is a gift because I'm the last minute person. I'll be like, I get juiced right, right before it's supposed to happen. But we're, we're a couple ahead, so we gotta remember that. Thank you.
0: We're a couple ahead and Sherry said, you know, she's a last minute person. So, you know, maybe we can be a little, or I can be a little bit vulnerable here. We're kind of funny. We always have a meeting time and we know when we're meeting, well, we are really famous for sending each other texts in boxes and saying, "Can I have five more minutes?" Or, "No, can I change it by a half an hour?" We're very ish in our timing. Thank goodness that we don't have a clock to punch. I think we might be in a little trouble if we did. It's good to be the king. It is wow.
1: <laughs> and so, and according to uh, his name, great artist from New York, who we used to have in our gallery. Sometimes the king is a woman. Yes. yes. Uh, the fuck's his name? He, we have his art. He's a he's an incredible artist. I'll get back to you.
0: It will come out anyway. He's yeah. he's brilliant because he yeah. knows sometimes the king is a woman, right? Right.
1: Sometimes the king is a woman.
0: The weather was incredibly beautiful that day. Who? I had all of my layers out. We told our participants dress in layers, yeah. bring a blanket. You know, it's in the middle of autumn, and were we blessed with a beautiful Indian summer weather day. Then, do you have anything else from our first day before we move on to Tuesday?
1: The first day, I just want to say that, and I i think I've said something like this before. Oh, James De La Vega. Thank you. That ding was my husband reminding me that I had a total brain collapse. James De La Vega from New York he goes by De La Vega. He's a street artist in New York City. Uh, wonderful, but I, that's sometimes the king is a woman. Uh, But I wanted to talk about the preparation because, Mm -hmm. you know, so often when we think of gifts, we think of outcomes, you know, the thing that happened as a result of something else. But what I have found recently is that, and not recently, I think I've always kind of known this, but like that two-year-old who's just beginning to articulate what she's processing, you know, our processes happen at different times. But this idea that preparation is an act of service, it's an act of love, and it takes in consideration all of the details as best we can, you know, we are human, but to be able to provide an experience from each one of these love language pieces, you know, to be able to in some way anticipate, you know, what the words are gonna be, what kind of affirmative language we're going to use, you know, how we're going to honor when people choose to spend their time with you, their precious time, how do we create a container that is a quality a quality container, something that they'll be like, "Oh, well, that was worth my time." How do we, how do we approach physical touch with a group of people we don't know very well? You know, for years, I have a friend who I've known forever, and I love her so much. And I am, I'm a huggy person. It's one of my superpowers. I love to hug. And I was hugging her one day, and when, and I'm not going to say her name. I don't know. I'll ask her later if I can. But someone said, "You know, she doesn't like to be touched." I was like, well, fuck if I knew, like, I just am so used to, you know, hugging her. So there's this, you know, consent piece, but how do we bring touch in, in a group setting that is going to be, you know, meaningful and uh, more of a gift, the acts of service and the actual, you know, physical trinkets and things like that. So going back down through that list to be able to use that as almost the map or the menu or, you know, whatever you would agenda for the preparation I think is a really beautiful way to to create this energy that feels a feeling like, that feels like a gift, feels like a gift. Now you know when you say something so many times, it loses its meaning. But it there is something magical about that, and what each of the days we've done too, and I know we're going to get to the fire ceremony in a moment, but each of those days had their own alchemy, their own you know process of moving from you know uncertainty. What's gonna happen? We have things planned, but they're kind of basic. This is this. But as the individuals move in and create this collective, something golden happens.
0: But that's gonna take us into Tuesday night, which was the full moon after the lunar eclipse. Ah, what a magical, magical night. That ah, it just felt, no pun intended, since it was a fireside ceremony, it felt so warm to um, be in community and so warm to be around the fire. And you and I showed up and the fire pit was filled with sticks and stems and everything that was needed so beautifully put together for us to be able to um, start the fire. I had, on my walk with Siva every morning, there is a pine tree grove that I go under. And, you know, pine trees lose half of their needles each year. So I gathered all those up and put them at the base of the fire so I could bring a little bit of, you know, my walking slash sit spot to the ceremony. When you and I arrived, it was so dark. The moon was so low in the sky that it was really dark, but as the evening progressed and our guests arrived, they brought with them each of their own special light and things got brighter and brighter. And
1: just for more context, uh, because this is a few weeks from now, uh, we had it, it was after the lunar eclipse, it was the full moon night, but it was also the election day for the midterms. So for whatever we were all holding, where this is not, you know, an an aisle thing, but for whatever we're holding and whatever fear or anticipation or expectation that, and all of the proliferation of the news media and all that, it just, it can get energetically heavy. And so we all kind of gathered and made the choice not to be around our social media or the actual, you know, regular media. It was a time to not, it's funny, ironically, separate from that but in its own way, create a wholeness, a unity that was beyond politics, beyond, almost beyond the full moon. The full moon in its wholeness and its light was reflecting exactly what it was and why we were there. You know, so it wasn't an, it wasn't an accident that we chose to uh, do three different days and add this sort of a bonus because we've got two long days from 11 to 3.30 and then this little oasis within that in the middle of seven to nine on a Tuesday night that was just so full. And at the same time, we were able to empty our our shit. And it was it was beautiful. It was, I am still, I have to say this. So the next day, I get a, a text from one of the participants. And she says, I, she, she it was a text, but it was a, a recorded text. And she said how amazing it was and how she was still riding the wave and how she was going to continue to ride that wave for as long as she could. I listened to it, I responded to it, I put mine away, which is a self-care gift I give to myself every day. and and now it is every day. It's not just regular, it's been 24 days in a row, and that's that's you know that's a gift. But so I I'm shuffling my enchanted map oracle cards. I haven't used the deck in ages, but I had used it the day before, but before that it had been maybe even a couple of years. I take out this deck and I'm shuffling and I'm shuffling. As I'm shuffling, one card flies out of the deck and turns itself over upright so I can see it. <laughs> and it's ride the wave. Ride the wave is what it said. And I was like, motherfucker. That is, un- like, it, it, it enforced everything that I believe. It reinforced my belief system. But to be able to see it was the magic. And it was funny because the night before, the, after the the full moon ceremony and, and all the returns are coming in and it's still like, got that charge outside of the, the fire circle. And I'm in my bathroom brushing my teeth and getting ready for bed. And I had a, perf- and I don't get these often. In fact, I can't remember the last time I had this particular experience, but I had a direct download that affected my physical body. And all it was, I heard the words, everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And that was all. It didn't repeat itself. It was just that everything's going to be fine. And I knew in that moment in my body that that was true. It wasn't limited to, you know, our podcast or our retreat or the politics or whatever it was. It was the full moon saying everything's going to be fine. So it was the wholeness of that message, not the interpretation of me saying, oh, this particular thing's going to be fine or no, everything's going to be fine. And feeling that, I was able to move. I still feel it. So when I forget, because it's easy to forget and get caught up in discursive thought, and in those few moments, I think everything's going to be fine. I already know this. And so that was just one of the gifts also.
0: I've also started using Oracle cards on a regular basis. And in each one of our events, we bring different decks. So that for anybody who is interested and everybody has chosen cards at all of the events that we've hosted so far so we like the people that we hang with kind of like in the uh, you know being able to pull that intention. So we did have a set of cards that we had for the full moon retreat and each of the people there Sherry and I included each pulled our card at the beginning of the evening. And when I gathered them up at the end of the night, I just stuck them in the box and brought them home. And as I was cleaning up and putting things together and I opened the box, I noticed that the cards were all sitting on top of the book. So there's a book that you know gives you the messages so that you can interpret the cards a little bit more specifically. Uh, and they were all on top. So I leave them out in the order in which they came out of the deck. And it was really interesting. I know who had some of these cards and who did not. But the story they told was the story of the Sacred Heart. That's card number one, Passion, Love, and Spiritual Communication. Card number two, Purification, Water, Emotional Cleansing, and Rejuvenation. The next one, Eternal Dance. It's such a beautiful card. Movement, the wheel of life, and the path of least resistance. You said everything's going to be fine. Yeah, so the path of least resistance. Then we had perception beyond the veil of illusion. So seeing things clearly. The next, the hidden path, which isn't it great to not know what the future is going to be and to know that there's this hidden path of surprises? And this is the marriage of spirit and matter, this hidden path, which brought us into the tree of life, feeling creative, destiny, and magical blessings. That brought us over to, and I think you can uh, tell me if I'm right or not, Oop, that the next one is the message. And I think that that was your card. I thought that was. Yeah, And that was um, positive news and positive occurrences. And then my card was the goddess of creation, transformation, creativity, and wholeness. And they just felt like they told such a beautiful story when I laid them all out in front of me. And I found it really interesting that in the order of things, yours and mine were the two last cards. So, because we're talking about the feminine energy and the full moon, what exactly does that mean? And we began talking about stepping away from it because of the presence of the full moon and the fire ceremony to kind of step away from the masculine energy of doing. We're so good at doing, right? You know, there was a time in my life where I was so proud of myself because I was such a great multitasker. And one of my cousins once said, you know, the thing about multitasking is we think we're getting more done. But if you took all of the things that you wanted to do and lined them up in an order in which you wanted to get them done and focused only on the one that you were doing at the time, you would probably still get everything on the list done. and Maybe even better because instead of being distracted, you would have your full attention and presence on the thing that you were doing. And I've thought about that a lot. And I'm better at not multitasking. I won't say I don't, but I'm better at recognizing when, you know, kind of jumping from thing to thing. But with the full moon, we came together and let go of the need to do, to accomplish, to get things done, to worry about our lists at home when the ceremony was over or what we needed for work the next morning, anything that needed to be on a to-do list, we united and were able to just let that leave for the couple of hours that we got to spend time together in an effort to just be with whatever was going to come up from each of the different individuals, as well as for the, from the things that Sherry and I had planned. But like she said earlier, there's an alchemy of the people who come together. We have a plan. We knew what we wanted to do and what we wanted to offer. But yet, uh, there's always a generous amount of space for uh, the gifts that each of the attendees bring to any of the experiences as well. So not doing and just being, that is a practice.
1: Yes. And I love that the whole feminine energy, you know, the lunar eclipse that preceded the full moon experience that we had. I, of course, messed it up in my head and I was expecting to see the lunar eclipse after on Tuesday <laughs> night after midnight, which would be Wednesday morning. <laughs> so I missed it completely. But this idea that the moon is in the shadow of the earth and that, and it's, you know, sort of almost at its fullness. Maybe it was even full at that time. I don't know. This is not my scholarship, but I can refer you if you need someone particularly good at the astrology. But I find that so the shadow work has always been very intriguing to me. And I've read books on shadow work. And. I, and and worked on my own shadows and continue every day to be curious about them and not try to avoid them and look at when I'm being an asshole and why is it, and it usually comes back to either ego or fear or some other, you know, thing that I, I still have to work out. But it, it, going back to the very beginning, that little girl, knowing that she was not separate from nature, knowing the sadness she felt when she was watching those leaves fall, that sometimes, you know, if you look up at the moon, I know I look up at the moon sometimes. And yes, we did a lot of howling and it was fucking awesome. But there's an experience of both hands on your heart and looking at the moon and just allowing that light to infuse you. And even on the new moon, when we don't, the moon is there. We just can't see it. It's in darkness. We have a, got our, our dog Luna on the new moon and she's a black dog and she is night and she is so beautiful. And, but there's this, this also this lightness that's coming into us. It's an invitation to remember, first of all, that we're not separate from nature, but also to not be afraid to look at the shadow because we cannot have shadow without light. And if we have light, we're going to have shadow. So why only gravitate to those things which are light? And I think in in the traditions and communities in which we travel, especially the yoga and meditation communities, unless you're kind of like deep diving, there's a lot of, you know, wide, shallow work going on, which is, you know, just as fun. I mean, I don't know if it's just as good, but it's a thing that we tend to bypass. We're going to use that word again, spiritually bypass those more difficult, challenging things. And it's not about dwelling in them. In the same way, it's not about dwelling in the light, but to recognize and honor that this full moon offers us this opportunity to look at our shadows just as much. I mean, I, I'm picturing the, the Halloween witch on the broom in front of the moon, the big full moon or like Snoopy or something, but that we're all in the shadow of the moon in some way and sun.
0: yeah. And lights can show up like that big full moon and the huge shadows or in much smaller ways when light is brought into, into a space. And I, when you were talking about the light and the moonlight and how it creates shadows and light, you know, it illuminates and it lets us look behind the curtain a little bit. It reminded me of, again, one of our participants who always, always, always remembers to bring her light in some way. She was in camp and here she is again, you know, a a very, very treasured part of... Uh, our community, as they all are. But she always remembers something that is a gift. And she knew on Saturday when we were all together, we practiced a threshold practice. And we've talked about this before, that when you cross a threshold to notice it, whether it's a threshold walking from your room to the kitchen or a threshold from thought to thought, breath to breath, location to location, that there's so many different opportunities to notice a threshold. But when we become aware of them, to take a pause and acknowledge that something is about to change. And maybe, you know, depending on what that threshold is, it's an opportunity for an intention, or maybe to leave behind something that belongs in that space that you don't want to take into the next place, like. I got in the shower the other day. I crossed the threshold, but I took my glasses and I forgot I was even wearing them. (laughs) They certainly didn't belong in the shower. So I had to stop and get rid of them. But that's an aside. She brought two strings of solar lights. And as she arrived, she unpacked them from her bag and laid them out on the roadway to the space where we were gathered around the fire. She remembered the practice that we had done on Saturday brought her light and lights with her and created a threshold uh, so that each person who came had a physical reminder of stepping into the sacred space of this feminine energy and leaving behind their masculine energy of having to do and get things done. And whatever other intention, those are mine, whatever other intentions each individual may have had in response to seeing the threshold that they were crossing.
1: And yes, she she is a sparkly human being who always brings her light. And, you know, as far as the masculine energy goes, I felt I needed to have some, we as leaders, it's different than people coming to simply let go, that they're being taken care of. When you go on retreat, one of the great things is there's someone there to take care of you, like there. You get to just be there. And as a teacher, I've always felt my practice when I'm teaching is teaching. It's not the practice, and I. I if I'm going to practice, I, it, it's for me to either find a teacher or do it on my own. But my responsibility, like my other teacher said, that they deserve the preparation. No, no, no. It's like what Catherine Hepburn said. When she was asked, or she was told, don't you feel like you owe your audience more of yourself? And she said, darling, the only thing I owe my audience is a good performance. And so the only thing I owe my students is to be present and to be able to help facilitate whatever that experience is to the level that they want. And so finding the balance between the masculine, the doing, and the feminine of being in that sort of space was also kind of, I think, exemplified by the fire itself, you know? because we had to build the fire. It didn't happen easily. Yes, the wood was there when we got there, but it needed to be reconstructed in order for the oxygen, in order for the flame to to catch the tinder, to catch the kindling, and then to catch the bigger sticks. And so there was effort that was required there. And then once the flickers, and of course, in the beginning, the paper is the thing that's gonna create the massive light. It's the easy thing. But then once that comes down to ash, did it catch did it do the thing it was meant to do and once it does that it's going to have a different experience and then once it gets really hot you've got the coals and then you look at the coals and there's they're almost breathing there's a pulsation yeah. that happens with the the coals at the bottom the red and the oranges and the black and at one point i looked in i just put a stick on and it started getting hot and i saw on the edge of the of the limb it was boiling water that that limb had been wet. And so the water that was in it was beginning to boil. And so all of these different elements were, were converging and creating this experience that required masculine energy to get it there. But then the sitting back and witnessing the ability to let that sort of fall off and be present with it was a whole other thing. And so the flames flicker. There's There's nothing uniform about a fire. And fact, sometimes you have to move because the smoke starts coming. And I'm going to throw this out there. Todd, where did you ever hear when the smoke comes in your face? I hate rabbit stew. Does anyone else know this reference? And if you do, please email me and tell me where it comes from. When the smoke is coming into your face, you say, I hate rabbit stew. I hate rabbit stew. So this idea of watching the, the fire breathe. So there's fire, there's oxygen, there's air. There was water in there and it was all in a fire pit that was earthbound so that when the flames, some of them would spark out of the fire pit, it would land on this damp earth and absorb it so that it wasn't going to catch. So all of these, every freaking element was involved. And then being able to sit back, Teresa led a beautiful fire gazing meditation, which also allowed in there was light and darkness in this fire. I am just fire is you know I'm not a pyromaniac but I do love fire and fire building and it never gets old it never gets boring and it always holds something mysterious and I I always walk away from a fire feeling like I have something else something has has come into me whether it's the breathing in of the smoke of the of the wood you know that sort of inhalation you've talked on a few of the episodes about the the, the relationship between our breathing out carbon dioxide and the trees, you know, taking, breathing out the, the oxygen for us and that symbiotic relationship. But then there's also that added part where you're burning it. And like you were saying before about the new ecosystems that are from the fallen trees, that are these trees that give us so much that also allow us to destroy them. They become ash. And then if you're shitting in the woods, you can use the ashes, something to sprinkle over that too. Like there's purpose to all of it. And I'm just so grateful that is a huge fucking gift.
0: Yeah. And we can't miss that, uh, that smoke became part of our breath. So we're infused with the tree's energy as it's transmuting from wood to ash, that smoke is permeating through our space and becomes part of us. So, you know, we take that tree into internal Teresa and just with, with our breath. And the other thing about, you know, the fire ceremony, the fire meditation is there's so many different ways in addition to how beautiful all of those dancing flames are and the different colors that wind up in, in the embers at the bottom of the fire, it sings. It has different sounds. You can hear the sizzle and the pop and just what as you quiet down and allow your senses to absorb everything that's going on and the eyes become transfixed in all of the different movement that the flames have to offer, you can then adjust or, or open more of your senses so that you can hear its sound. You know, what is it saying and how does it speak to you? What do those sizzles sound like? Are they a song? Are they words? When we really tune into the sounds that are around us, is nature actually speaking to us? So we have that and the sense of touch. Oh my gosh, feeling the warmth. Maybe even parts of the body on an evening are cold, but then the heat from the fire touches your face and you have this dual sensations of areas of the body that are cool and areas of the body that are warm. And, you know, we didn't actually taste the fire, but scent and taste or scent and flavor sometimes go together. However, we did have vegan gluten-free s'mores. So (laughs) yes, the fire also let us connect very, very sweetly to our sense of taste elements and senses. They go together. I. W- this is
1: another long conversation. I think this may be a new trend. I have one more thought before I could wrap up and maybe think about a final thought, but memory was one of the things that felt very much like a gift to me. You know, Both of my parents are gone. And when they come in to my consciousness and to memories come up, it affects everything in me. It feels very much like a gift. And the reason I'm feeling this now is because We are making memories. My mother always said, go out there and make as many memories as you can. And we are doing that through the podcast, through the live events and the things creating this community and building it together, not only as sort of in leadership of the community, but as arcs in the bigger circle of the community. And so already just when riding the wave has a sense of memory to it, to me, that feeling of You know, what we generated is, is energetic and there's movement to memory. It's not, I'm not stuck in where I was when I was in that place because I don't remember what I, who I was when I, when that happened in a sense. So the memory is as fluid as the journey and getting a sense of people who have gone before me, that memory is sacred and lands in my heart as a very special gift. And I know that when I think back on the beginnings, we're we're nearing a year here. This is episode 49. We do one a week, which means 50 to 52 weeks in a year. Yeah, we're almost at our our one-year anniversary. So looking back on this year and the growth and the changes that we've both gone through individually and together as partners has been extraordinary. And talk about fucking alchemy. Oh, my gosh. You know, the gold that we are becoming is we already are. And so that is, again, the excavation, the thought, the memory, the remembering. So I just want to thank you. And I want to thank everyone out there who is supporting us energetically, physically, by listening, by showing up, however you do, by loving us, by you know emailing us, by whatever it is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And wishing you the most happy Thanksgiving in any way that you celebrate, in any way that you frame this day in thanks and gratitude that may or may not be historically rooted um, because we have some shadows there too that
0: I ain't bypassing. I have one more thing that feels like a gift. At the end of the evening when all of our guests left, uh, Sherry and I got to sit together and after planning and working together, there's a lot of creativity and sharing of ideas and tasks that need to get done. So to have those couple of minutes at the end to sit next to the fire and just step out of that leadership role, you know, the facilitator. And for the two of us to take that 15 or 20 minutes that we had at the end of the evening to also just revel and sit in the full moon and just be with each other was a huge gift. Uh, So thank you for that. And then Sherry, went off and I thought I would stay. I had been on the farm for many, many times and I feel really comfortable there. So I offered to stay and pour water onto the fire to make sure that it was out before we left the space. So to make sure that it's contained and not to leave any situation that could potentially be dangerous. And I began to pour water on the fire. And as soon as I did, of course, You put the water element into the fire element and it's going to create smoke and mist that's rising up off the fire. And the first thought that came to me was, this smoke is billowing out into the community like a signal to attract all of the people who are in our community, that are in our collective, who haven't quite found us yet, like the woman who found us through at the very last minute and has become a participant the signal has been sent it's out in the ethers for anybody who hasn't quite found us found us at our events yet the invitation was sent and that felt like a gift so thank you for listening you are a gift
1: you are a gift and next episode we're going to resume our yoga 8 and if you know we started this season talking about the 8 limbs of yoga And even in this conversation that we've had, there's a lot to talk about yoga off the mat and we will, but this you've, you've spent enough time with us for today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy Thanksgiving, man.
0: Happy Thanksgiving till next time. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, for reading, reviewing and subscribing to our channels and other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative, live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up. Feel free to send us your stories,
1: questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our amazing editor Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time.